All right, if you uh, didn't, have never watched 60s TV shows, that was the intro uh, to, oh, so we got a Mission Impossible fan back there. Okay, uh, there was a 60s TV show where they would organize these secret agents and they would send them to go rescue someone from a foreign prison or to defuse a nuclear weapon or something, and they would have this impossible mission and they would assemble this impossible missions force to go and accomplish it, and in one hour every week they did it. And so, uh, but the beginning was always just this, tense moment with a fuse lit because there was, no, there was no margin for error. This mission was impossible. Well, today I want to talk with you about a topic that Paul mentions in his letter to the Ephesians that many people would say is impossible too, and it's the whole topic of submission. In fact, inside your bulletin today, you'll find an outline where I'm headed today with teaching from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We're talking about Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6, parts of it, where we're talking about the whole topic of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ and people, many people would say that's impossible to live that way. Paul says not so much, not so fast. In fact, through Christ, it's very possible. And I want to talk with you about his teachings on this today. I'd like to have a word of prayer before we begin. So would you join me, please? Father, I thank you for the opportunity uh, to be here today. Uh, Lord, uh, we started a whole series back at the beginning of the year, and we've entitled it Living It, because we want to live out our faith. We don't want to just talk a good game. And today, we want to talk about submission submitting to others and putting the needs of others ahead of our own. This is not something that is easy, and it's not even something that most of the time for us is popular. But Lord, it's something we do need to talk about if we're going to obey your word. So thank you for Paul writing this letter. Thank you that it's been preserved for us. Help us to examine our lives and apply what it says to our lives. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you need a pen, by the way, to fill in the blanks or just take some notes, raise your hand if you didn't get a pen on the way in. Our ushers are coming up and down the aisles. They'll be glad to bring a pen to you. Uh, this is part of our series. This is the next installment in our series entitled Living It. In that prayer, you heard me talk about our motivation behind this. If you've never read Paul's letter to the Ephesians, it's just the book of Ephesians in the New Testament of the Bible. The whole idea behind it is exactly this. It's an encouragement for people to live out their faith. And so point one on your outline uh, points this out. Paul, the guy who wrote this letter, he was in prison at the time. He had started this church in a city called Ephesus, which would be today in modern-day Turkey, he had started that church, gotten it going, stayed there for a few years, went on and started other churches. Eventually, he was arrested and was in prison in Rome, Italy, and he wrote them a letter. And in part of this letter, he talked to them about the importance of submission. So point one in your outline reminds us of where we're going today. Paul wanted the Christians in Ephesus to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. He wanted them to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. Here's what he said in Ephesians 5. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything that God the Father, in the, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Paul begins this paragraph saying, hey, be careful how you live. This was, the whole letter was an encouragement to live out your faith. Don't just talk a good game. It's good if you got a little fish thing on the back of your chariot or whatever, you know, and all that. Uh, but the idea is, if you're going to live out your faith, then you have to do more than talk it. So don't be foolish. Be wise. And then he goes in with his laundry list. If you're going to live like a Christian, then don't get drunk with wine. And that makes sense to us. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. We did a whole lesson on that three weeks ago, what that means. Um, also make 
sure that you're making songs in your heart, that you're singing and making melody in your heart, praising God with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. What that means is that, you know, if you like the music, we've done that this morning, singing here, and we hope that this inspires you to go home and download these tunes or listen to Christian radio. I was doing that not long ago at a stoplight. I had Christian radio on. I was singing one of the songs we sing here on Sunday morning, and I was just singing with my eyes closed. The guy behind me honks, and it's like, yeah, just uh, sorry about that. Got captured. Got, I was singing and making music in my heart. Okay. Um, and it was bad singing, by the way. But the, the windows were up, so it was okay. Uh, but give thanks to everything to God the Father, and then give thanks to everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we go, well, yeah, Christians ought to do that. It makes sense. If you're going to live out your faith, we probably had not to be getting drunk. We ought to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I get it. We ought to be singing God's songs. Yeah. And we ought to give thanks, sure. But here's the last one. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's like, wait a minute, what? Yeah, if you and I are going to live it, this is the hardest part in this whole paragraph. Many people who would never take issue with any of these other things would go, well, wait a minute, what do you mean by submitting? Well, here's what Paul meant by submitting. The word he used means this. To submit means yielding to the authority or will of others. It means exactly what you think it means. In fact, the life application for you and me is this. Following Jesus means putting others ahead of ourselves. To follow Christ means to put others ahead of ourselves. And I would not for, and again, we call this submission impossible. In our own strengths, in our own strength, this would be very difficult at best, impossible at worst. Yet this is why, this is exactly what Jesus modeled for us. Once when Jesus was traveling with his disciples, they were walking down a road together and the disciples got into an argument over who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I mean, Jesus had 12 disciples. They planned on going to heaven one day and they got into an argument over who would be the greatest. Who was going to be number one and number two sitting at Jesus' right hand in heaven. And so Jesus overheard this and he sat them all down and here's what he said. This is from Matthew's gospel. Now, you know, and he's talking to his followers here, so this would be instruction straight to you and me. Now, you know that the rulers in this world, they lord it over their people, and their officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it'll be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Disciples are arguing who's going to be prime minister, who's going to be secretary of state in heaven. And he goes, guys, you got it all wrong. In heaven, things are upside down from what they are here. On earth, the bigger the limousine you have, the bigger the entourage that attends to you, the more titles you have after your name, the bigger the deal you are. And he said, on this planet, lording it over people is the way you get respect. Lording it over people is exactly what rulers want to do. In heaven, it works the other way around. If you want to be at my right hand and my left hand in heaven, here's all you need to do. Give yourself away. The greatest in heaven is the greatest servant. It's upside down, exactly backward. And Jesus did more than just talk a good game. He modeled it. In fact, the next paragraph in your outline comes from John 13. Matthew recorded the first instance. John recorded the second. The night before Jesus was crucified, he died on Good Friday, so this would have been the Thursday beforehand, he gathered his disciples for communion, for the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion for the Lord's Supper. And um, before the meal started, they were having a Passover meal where he did this. Before the meal started, they all gathered around a table, Middle Eastern 
setting of things. They would have worn, during that time, they would have worn open-toed sandals and they would have traveled on dirt roads and their feet got very dirty. And so when the disciples and Jesus all gathered, you would recline at a, uh, a low table. It would be about the height of a coffee table and your feet would be out where if their feet are dirty and smelly, it would really be a distraction during dinner. And so the lowest servant in the household, their job was to be, they had a chair next to the door, and when the guests came in, they would sit down, and the lowest servant was there to take people's feet and wash all the dirt off their feet. It was a gross, nasty job, and it was left for the lowest servant. Yet when Jesus gathered his disciples together, he took off his robe, tied a towel around his waist, and he went around with a basin of water and washed all their feet. And then he sat down. He was going to die the next day on the cross for them, and he wanted, to understand, he wanted them to understand what he was doing, so he taught plainly. This is John 13, 12. After washing their feet, Jesus put on his robe again, and he sat down. And he asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Now do as I've done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. And if you'd underline that last phrase or that last sentence, now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. I'm going to repeat it one more time, and if you'd say together with me that God will bless you for doing them part. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. God wants us to live it. Not talk it. Hey, do you know you're supposed to serve others? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, then do it. Well, what would that look like, Jesus? He had already talked to them when they were on the road that one day about, hey, you don't go around lording it over each other. And he gave them a practical example. And Peter, one of the disciples, was even incredulous when he did this. He goes, Lord, I don't want you to wash my feet. And he said, Peter, I have to. I'm teaching you a lesson. Do you understand what I've done for you? You say that I am God, that I'm Lord of all, and you're right. That's who I am. And if I, the Lord of heaven, am willing to serve you, then you need to be willing to serve each other. If you're going to be a Christian, a follower of Christ, then this is what it looks like. Don't just talk a good game. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. And so submission to others, allowing others to go first, this is part and parcel of what it means to be a Christ follower, to being a Christian. Now, there's one other note I have for you in your outline. When we brought this up originally, Paul gave that laundry list about not getting drunk and singing spiritual songs. Hey, if you want to live it, be wise. We got to the part about submission. He said, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In some translations, it actually says out of fear for Christ. And the reverence for Christ, what that means there, it means this, a respectful fear of disappointing Jesus. It's a respectful fear of disappointing him. The thing I'm most afraid of is that I would disappoint Jesus. A close parallel to that in my life happened when I was a teenager. Um, I'm the sixth of six kids. I have a twin sister, so I'm like, my twin and I kind of tie for last. Okay, she was six minutes older, though, so I'm, I'm the last. Okay, uh, by the time... Me and uh, my twin sister came along. My oldest sister determined my parents were just kind of worn out because they said they were really tough on her and they were just lax with us. Not very many rules in comparison. 
And I remember after I got a car when I was 16, I talked to my dad about curfew, when he wanted me home, my mom and dad, other things. And um, I remember having this conversation with my dad that was most illuminating. Uh, we talked about curfew, when do you want me home? He said, well, look, I don't want you out past midnight ever. I don't want you, you know, 10 or 1030 at the latest on weeknights. And so I'm like, what happens if I, and then I, you know, like most of you, what happens if I come home late? And he just stopped and he said, look, I don't want you to ever betray my trust. I trust you. Don't disappoint me. Man, I want to tell you that worked. My dad died a year and a half ago, and there are times when I miss him. I would give anything to be able to talk to him. But I'm not going to forget that piece of advice. That helped me a lot. Don't disappoint me. When Paul was talking to the people in Ephesus, he said, look, Jesus died for you. He gave up his life for you. He modeled it in every way possible. He died on a cross for sins he never committed. He paid a penalty for your sins and for mine. He was accused of crimes that were beyond imagination that were applied to him. He was sinless and perfect, yet he died so we could live he was punished so we could be set free. He came to serve. Why on earth would you ever think you're too high and mighty to serve others? Out of reverence for, for Christ, I mean, the last person on earth you want to disappoint is Jesus. And why wouldn't you be willing to submit to each other? You want to live out your faith? Then submit to one another. And Paul gave three examples of how we could do that in daily life. The first was in our marriages. The second was in our families, the parent-child relationship. And the third was in our workplace. And so we'll just continue on. Out of reverence for Christ, not wanting to disappoint them. I mean, I never wanted to disappoint my dad, by the way. I'd much rather put up with the laughter of my friends that I had to go home early than with the disappointment of my father. And if we're going to submit in the way God wants, Paul says that's our motivation The last person on earth you want to disappoint is Jesus. So out of reverence for him, let's practice submission in our marriages. You want to make sure that people know you're living out your faith? You want people to know you're a Christian? You'll stick out like a star in the nighttime sky if you and I will practice this. Because this is something unheard of in our day and age. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. Notice, I didn't even take a breath in between. I wanted to get it all through. Because the minute you start talking about wives submitting, a lot of times that's where it stopped in the past and people have never read the second paragraph. A few years ago, or a year and a half ago, we talked on this subject. I brought up this passage of Scripture. Didn't even comment on it. Just read it as part of a talk we were doing on marriage. During the message, after I read it, I saw a woman get up and leave. She emailed me the next day. and She said, I'm never coming back to your church if you're going to read stuff like that. I can't even read it? No, you can't even read it. I mean, we live in a world today, hey, if you get married, there's no submission. There's no dying for the other person. Marriage is all about what's in it for me. If I'm not getting enough pleasure, if I'm not getting enough attention, if I'm not getting support, enough support from you, boom, you're gone. I'll find somebody else. 
And we'll go through marriage after marriage after marriage after marriage. We don't care how many we run through until I find somebody who meets my needs. And Paul said, well, you're getting it all wrong. You want the Christian understanding of marriage. Christian understanding of marriage is just like with Jesus. You, you get into marriage not to be served, but to serve. Marriage is a laboratory for you to practice love and faithfulness and sacrifice. I mean, it's like the old expression. If you want to learn about selfishness, your own selfishness, you get married. God gives you a spouse. If you want to learn about patience, he gives you children. If you want a PhD, he lets them grow up to be teenagers. Okay, now you're all about it. Because as our families grow, and as we learn to be in a family and coexist with other people, we learn just exactly how selfish we can be. And every time that God allows us to go through those difficulties, it gives us a chance to submit and surrender and pray for people instead of trying to dominate them. This is the Christian life. Let me go on and finish this. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. In the same way husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we're members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. It's a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. God is one God existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and God is love. The most powerful illustration of who God is is when a godly couple, the husband and wife, love each other and submit to one another. It's a powerful illustration of what God looks like. And when people see a godly couple that way, it's a powerful testimony to how good God is. And that's why the devil would love to see marriages destroyed on an epic scale, and that's what's happening in our culture. It's like taking a rock at a stained glass window and smashing it. And that's what's going on. Because we live in a culture where people will not do this. In fact, many of you have already flipped your outline over. Paul goes on, and there's a life application for us in here. And Paul makes this very clear that women need love and men need respect. Here's how he put it. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, unfortunately, the little diagram I had in there was on the other page. If you could flip back to the front side, I just want to draw your attention to a little diagram about this. Men need respect. Women need love. Over and over again, I have people that are coming to my office, and their marriage is on the ropes. And many times when I talk to them, the wife will start crying, and she'll say, you know, We've been married for 10 years, 15 years, whatever it is. And I don't even remember the last time he told me he loved me. In fact, if he ever just came home and brought me flowers just because it was Tuesday and just told me how much he loved me and cherished me like he promised in our wedding vows, I'd probably faint. Then another couple will come in, and this time it's the man who's crying. Sometimes they're just shaking. They're just crying. They go, I can't ever please my wife. No matter what I do, she won't respect me. I clean out the garage, and she says, it's about time. I take out the trash, and she goes, well, if you didn't do it, I'd have had to. And she's always writing me that I'm not pushing myself hard enough, and I don't have enough of a job or enough of a career. And how come the other people are making so much more money than we are, and I feel this small? If my wife ever told me she respected me, I'd faint. I hear them all the time. Love and respect. So when couples come into me, I make sure they're sitting down just in case they do faint, okay? 
And then we actually have them turn to each other in my office and I'll have them say this somewhere in the meeting. I love you. I'm glad that God gave you to me as my wife. I cherish you and I'm grateful that we can have life together. And I'll ask the woman to turn to the man and say, I love you. I'm glad God gave you to be my husband. I respect you. You do a good job. And I mean the tears will flow. There are so many men, they have never heard once in 10 years that they did a good job. There are so many women, they are just dying for a husband to say, I love you. And to plan any sort of romance ever. And the whole idea here of marriage is when God brought us together, he rigged it so we have a perfect opportunity to put another person in front of ourselves. And that's why Paul says, hey, if you want to know about submission, here's how it starts. Women, submit to that man. Help him be the leader that God has called him to be. Men, do whatever it takes to love that wife that God has given you. Give up whatever you have to so she can grow and become perfect in God's plan for her. But as I said, we live in a culture where that's out the door. I'm in it for me. And if I'm not getting what I need, I'm out of here. If you flip your outline over, the question often comes up, so what happens if we're at a stalemate? What happens if the man isn't getting the respect he needs? And what happens if the woman isn't getting the love she needs? What do we do? We've got a standoff. I mean, we're looking across the border. Who's going first? Please fill in the blank on this note. Men go first. This is what it means to be a spiritual leader. We just spent 10 minutes at the front talking about how Jesus led. Hey, guys, if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the greatest servant. Do you understand what I've done for you? I didn't come to have you wash my feet. I came to wash yours. I came to love you. If you're my followers, that's what you do. Men, hear this. If you're going to be the spiritual leader in your home, your job is to love and cherish the woman that God brought to you. It's a whole lot easier for her to respect you, by the way, if you start it rolling. And so, men, if you're the leader, then you go first. Being the spiritual leader doesn't mean you kick your shoes off on the recliner and say, hey, go get me a beer. That's not what it says. What it says is, is that we love and we serve because we love the Lord. So out of reverence for Christ, the last person on earth I ever want to disrespect is Jesus. And he gave up everything for me. So in our marriages, men, you got to meet the needs of the woman. Women, you need to meet the needs of the man. Love and respect. Point three in your outline, out of reverence for Christ, the last person on earth we ever want to disrespect, the last person on earth we ever want to be disappointed with us is Jesus. And if that's true, then we need to practice submission in our families. Not just in our marriages, but there's an extension now. How are the kids going to know what it's like to submit to Christ? How are the kids going to know what love looks like unless we raise them to be godly children? But children, here's your point. If you are still living at home with your parents, you are under their roof, then you need to be subject to them submissive to them. Here's what Paul said. This is Ephesians 6. 
Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. I just made this life application because Paul did. No comment on this. This is just literally where it reads. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, then things will go well for you, and you'll have long life on the earth. Hey, you want a long life? I mean, it's important to understand, children, that your parents, are, they have been put in a position to help you and to guide you. I mean, the last thing as a parent I want is for my kids to pay the stupid tax twice. I already paid it full fare. And if they can learn from my bad examples and they can learn from painful experiences in my life, more power to them. Let's not pay it twice. And so children, God has given you parents. And I mean, we can come up with excuses all day long for why we don't need to do this. I have husbands that come up with excuses why they can't serve their wives because their wife is so selfish and she's not going to recognize anything. And women go, I'm not going to submit to that guy. What are you talking about? And children say, I'm not submitting to my parents. They were teenagers. Yeah, but that was before the internet and before cell phones when the earth was cooling. Okay. I mean, what do they know about being a kid? They know more than you think. And some things haven't changed very much. The technology has, but they know what it's like to date. They know what it's like to be rejected by friends. They know what it's like to get, you, get in trouble by talking too much or sleeping too long. They know all those things. And God's given you parents to help you. Now it goes on here, and there's another application. Paul says, but fathers, don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. If my children are submit to me, then I need to submit to the Lord. Going to DEFCON 5 for every single infraction, that's a huge mistake. Enormous mistake. And sometimes we do that. Just everything's gigantic. Or, as you'll notice here, it says fathers. Well, it's for fathers and mothers. They had mothers then too. But why is it addressed to fathers? Because men, God expects us to be involved in the discipline of our children. Ah, that's women's work. I got to put bread on the table. Let her raise the kids. Mm-mm. Remember, this is about submitting to one another, putting the needs of others ahead of yourself. Again, women come to me all the time. If my husband would just help at all in disciplining the children, I feel like I'm in this all by myself. Ah, you take care of it. I'm busy. Mm-mm. You go at it together. And that way children aren't angry. And they break your heart sometimes when the bride is supposed to walk down the aisle. She goes, I'll walk myself down the aisle, thank you. Really? Why? Look, my dad was never there for me when I was growing up. I don't care if he's at my wedding. That hurts a lot. And it happens a lot. And it matters that we get involved. Out of reverence for Christ, the last person on earth I want to disappoint, I need to be submissive in my marriage. Men and women. We need to be submissive in our homes. Parents submissive to God. Kids submissive to parents. And if we're going to live out our faith, and again, we're going to live it, not just talk about it, not just Sunday morning Christianity, this is the real stuff, then we also need to be submissive in our workplace. 
Point four, out of reverence for Christ, the last person on earth who want to disappoint is Jesus. He needs to practice, practice submission at work. A couple of life applications. Paul talks directly to the people of his day. Employees should work for an audience of one. The economy of Ephesus, most of it was based on slave labor. This is not a sanctioning of slavery. It's not an endorsement of slavery. Paul was simply talking to masters and slaves because that was the majority of the people there. That's where they were. I realize that times in the past, there are certain people who have used this as a text to promote slavery. As you read through it, you'll see just how grievous that error is, and it's completely false and wrong, and it's an intentional misunderstanding. You cannot make that by accident. Because here's what it says, slaves obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we're slaves or free. And I hope you notice that phrase, as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. The blank up above that is this. Employees should work for an audience of one. We need to work for the Lord rather than for people. I mean, if I only do my work when there's a camera on me, if I only do my work when my boss is looking over my shoulder, I've completely misunderstood what it means to submit. And I'm not demonstrating at all the kind of respect that God wants me to show for my employer. Now, if an employer, Paul goes on, the life application here is employers should seek to be servant leaders, just like Jesus was. I came to serve, and if you're an employer, then you and I need to be challenged to be servant leaders. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven who has no favorites. Did you catch that? Treat your slaves the same way. What's the same way? Obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. It's all about respect. I mean, if you want respect, you got to give respect. If you want Christmas cards, you got to send Christmas cards. Some of you are wondering why you didn't get any. You didn't send any. Hey, it's true. You want respect? You got to show respect. You could go, my boss doesn't respect me. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you respect him or her? My employees, they don't respect the thing I say. Well, let me ask you, do you respect them? I went through this with a friend of mine a few years ago. We were having lunch together, and we were talking about a mutual friend between us, and I was telling him, I don't get this guy. He doesn't respect me at all. And I went on and on about all this disrespect this guy had shown me. And then after I'd kind of vented for a while, he was just eating there. And he said, well, so tell me, do you respect him? And I went, no. And I gave a few reasons why. And he goes, hmm, seems fair. And what? And he goes, you don't respect him. He doesn't respect you. Seems fair. What's your problem? If you want him to respect you, John, you've got to show some respect first. You're the preacher. Now, that one hurt. (laughs) But he's right. Hey, you want your employees to have a good work ethic and to be kind and submissive to others? Serve them. Servant leaders, Jesus looked for what the disciples needed, and they needed forgiveness. They needed instruction. He gave them everything. He emptied himself to help them. A good boss does that. He's always looking for a way to help his employees achieve. And man, they do that, and the team together will meet unbelievable goals. A good employee is looking for ways they can serve their boss for the same reason. 
And if you and I aren't getting respect and we feel like we're disrespected, well, here's the question. What kind of respect are you giving? Works with the kid parent thing. Works with the husband wife thing too, by the way. Now here's a note that's important for us. God allows us to experience difficult circumstances in our life, at home, at work, in marriage, in order to strengthen our character. Sometimes working for that hard boss pushed you and pushed you. Well, we resented it at the time, but years later you realize, man, that made me the best employee ever. Sometimes taking the hardest professor in college was the best decision, not the worst. You're the only one who learned the material. We can rejoice, too. The same guy who wrote the letter to the Ephesians wrote the letter to the Romans. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character. And please underline that. Strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. John, you don't know what it's like at my workplace. No, I don't. But many times God has put us in a difficult scrape or a difficult position because there are some things in our character that need to get, we need to get rid of. And if we're honest with ourselves, that person may not be the nicest in the way they say it, but it's helped us become better. Now, I want to qualify all that by saying this. As sure as I'm talking about this in Ephesians 5, 22, there's somebody somewhere who's going to say, it says the wife is supposed to submit to the husband, and for that reason, then, a woman can be a punching bag for a brutal and abusive husband. He can do whatever he wants, and she can't say anything because he has to respect her, or she has to respect him, even though he never respects her. That's not what it says. That's another intentional misreading of this, and it's wrong. And if you're in an abusive, horrible relationship where somebody is constantly mistreating you, get help. Get some counseling. Work on your marriage. Strengthening character doesn't mean becoming a punching bag. And finally, the last point I'd like to make out of this is the last point that Paul makes. Submission to others is possible through Christ. We started out with this title, Submission Impossible. I don't know it's possible to be submissive at work and at home and in our families all at the same time without the Lord's help. The good news is the Bible says we get the Lord's help. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Paul did not say, hey, good luck with that. I hope it works out okay. He said, look, if you're going to be submissive at home and in work and in your marriage, you're going to need the Lord's help. The good news is the Lord will give it to you. In Ephesians 3, he said, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, God will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. When we want to love our spouses as we should, we come to him and say, God, will you help me? I am so glad for verses like this because people come to me with a 20-year addiction. They've been hitting the bottle for 20 years and they realize now it's destroyed their life and they want help and they go, is there hope for me? I go, you bet there is. I've never been able to quit before. Yeah, but you haven't surrendered to the Lord before. And I pray from his glorious unlimited resources, he'll empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Jesus was the one who said what's impossible for people is possible with God. There's hope. If you have an addiction you can't overcome, God can give you the strength and we can help. What if you have a 15, 20-year marriage where all the fizzle has gone out of this thing? It's no fun anymore. I don't want to submit to him. He doesn't want to love me. Let's get some help. 
Let's surrender to the Lord, and I'll help. We got a staff, we'll help. But it starts with a willing heart saying, hey, I want to live out my faith. I don't want to just come to church on Sunday and have the right Bible cover or whatever it is, you know, check off that I read a number of verses a day, that I have the right pedigree, right? This is about living it. Are you going to live it or not? Am I going to live it or not? And if we're going to live it, then part and parcel of it is to say, I'm going to put others' needs ahead of my own. In my marriage, in my family, and at work. Because the last person on earth I want to disappoint is Jesus. And he gave everything for me. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, these are hard teachings. And Lord, I don't want to begin to Uh, present to people here that I have done this my whole life and I have this subject cornered. I do not. I realize that there are real problems that we have to face and there are real substantial disagreements in our homes and our workplaces and between parents and kids. But Father, this teaching is clear. It was written to real people in the real world who would have had demanding bosses, who would have had unruly children, who would have had problems in their marriage just like people today. And it does no good to make excuses and say, well, back in the first century, things were much easier. They were not. And so, Father, I don't want us to fight you. I don't want us to disagree with you. I want us to cooperate. God, I want to live out my faith in a real way. Help me be a godly husband. Help my wife be a godly wife. Lord, please help me be a good parent to my kids. I pray that they will be good and obedient children. Help me be a good employer to the employees who are involved at this church. And Father, I pray the leaders in this church will be submissive and obedient to leadership. And God, I pray that for each of us. In a moment of silence right now, if the Lord spoke to you about some area in your life, your marriage, your work, your relationship with your kids. The Lord spoke to you to say, Lord, I'm going to need some help with this because this is impossible for me to do on my own. It's okay if you pray that way. He knows that. Say, God, I got to have some help here. Well, Lord, I thank you that you are always more ready to listen than we are to pray. I thank you, Lord, that you know our needs before we even ask for anything. I thank you, Lord, that some of us came here today and this was exactly what we needed to hear. You're good that way. I just pray now we won't fight you. We won't argue with you. We'll just cooperate. Give us the strength and the wisdom we need. Because, Lord, the last person on earth we want to disappoint is Jesus. In his mighty name we pray. Amen.